we're studying through right now the book of Revelation. We're in the third chapter, and we're looking at verses 10, 11, 12, and 13. Would you please, if you have a Bible, and if not, you can grab one in the, in the chair in front of you, I guess, and, and, and look at chapter 3 of the book of Revelation. It's the last book in the Bible, of course. And we're taking a look at, at a church, different churches. In chapters 2 and 3, we're looking at seven different churches. So far, we've looked at six of them. And the sixth one is the church at Philadelphia. In verses uh, 10, well, actually, verse, uh, I think it's 8 through 13. But we've already taken a look at the first two verses. And we're taking a look now at, at, chapter, at verses 10 through 13. And we're going to look at one of the most monumental moments in the life of believers. It is the question of questions that goes into our lives. And it's all about what is called the rapture of the church. In other words, the church being taken up into heaven. And it is also talking and connected to what is called the great tribulation. And you need to know there are, there are a differing points of views about when does the church go up? When, when is the church raptured? We all, for the most part, believe that Jesus Christ is coming again, the second time. He is coming for His church, and we're going to prove all of this to you this morning, I hope. Now, before we do, there's not a man here in this room that doesn't want to thank you ladies for who you are in our lives. I know, man, amen. That was unsolicited. As a matter of fact, I was going to ask all the men, if you wouldn't mind, would you stand with me and applaud and thank God for the women of this church. I love you. You ladies, thank you guys. Last night after the service, Jeannie Seacrest came up to me and said, Boy, it's been a long time since I've had a standing ovation. <laughs> She's a pistol. I love her so much. Ladies, you need to know how important you are. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, I, I, don't, have, I'm, I, I don't have any children. I'm not a mom. No, I, yes, you, but on the, on the other hand, to us, you are as, as important as any woman of this church. And so it's, it always feels uncomfortable for me to, to wish everybody a happy Mother's Day and then have some woman come to me and say, but I'm not, I'm, I don't have, I'm not married or I don't have any children. And, and, I, and I would like to always say, that it doesn't matter. I just thank God for you, the women of this church. And so we'd like to, on this Mother's Day, of course, honor our mothers. Uh, I had a great talk with my sister last night. I went home, I was driving home from church, and I got a chance to talk to her wish her a happy Mother's Day, just in case I didn't get a hold of her today, and tell her how much I loved her. And, and, um, and we started reminiscing about our parents. And we're getting, as we get older, we're really getting good at this. And it was just a really a glorious time, talking about mom and, and um, how she raised us. And, and, and my sister reminded me of how, what a wonderful athlete she was, which I, I, I knew. And... Um, Anyways, we, we just got to talking, and, and, and there's not a man here, ladies, that doesn't cherish who you are. For those of us who are married, though, we understand the strength of our homes. We, we know. We know who you are. We know what you mean to us. And we thank God for you. And so happy Mother's Day to those who are mothers, and happy Women's Day 
to all the rest because you are just as cherished to each of us. We stood and we applaud all of you and we thank you. And so I hope you have a wonderful day today with your families and your loved ones and your friends. But I want you to feel as warm as you could possibly feel here within our church. We would love to just give you a hug and say thanks for everything. Thank you so much. Now, let's, let's, let's talk about what is perhaps one of the most exciting places in Scripture, but to teach, it's like a dry bone, honestly. It's like gnawing on a dry bone. Because it's, it's that place in Scripture where there are a few of us that absolutely love it, because we're going to take a look at a word, and we're going to take a look at the preposition, the ending of the word, uh, compared to another ending, and you're going to say, oh, come on, come on, enough. But you're, go- you're going to have to understand this, this whole framework of what, what our Lord is saying to the church at Philadelphia, so that we can understand who we are, can feel secure in what's going to happen to us, and understand the, the rapture and the great tribulation that is coming upon this earth. Now, um, I want you to know that, that I, I'm, I'm convinced that nobody has the answer. The Lord says Himself that nobody's going to know the time or the hour that, that He's coming back. But He also says we can examine the signs and see. See what, what is happening around you and, and be aware of what's taking place. And so what He says to this church at Philadelphia, here in the third chapter of the book of Revelation, and, and I told you last week, I sense that we are like this church. Now, this is one of the Two churches of the seven that our Lord did not rebuke. Now, I'm not sure that He's not going to rebuke us in in some ways, in some shapes. We've made some mistakes. I'm sure of it. I I know of it. But but on the other hand, I don't think any of us have made a mistake here that that was purposeful or or meaning to to do what would, would have been wrong or anything of that matter. But what we have established our church upon is the very thing that the church at Philadelphia was, was, was um, honored. I don't know if honored is the right word, but, but was, was mentioned of very positively by our Lord. And that is that we have centered our church upon two things and basically two things only. And that is the name of Jesus Christ. We believe with all of our hearts that He is everything. That's why that song that Anthony and the group sang today was just perfect. Give me Jesus. When I arise, when I'm alone, and when I come to die, give me Jesus. Because that's what our church is upon. We have built our church upon the holy and righteous and and, and glorified name of Jesus Christ. We believe that with all of our hearts. Secondly, since we believe in Him so much, then we have set the framework of our church upon the Word of God. This is, this is our rules and regulations. We have no types of traditions or, 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 or the such within our church. We, we want to follow what our Lord has for us. And so when I ask you to to consider what we're going to say today, I want you to be like the Bereans. And and it says in the book of Acts, the Bereans were a group of people who examined the Scriptures daily to see the things 
if the things that they were being taught was true or not, if it was so. And so what I'm going to say to you today, I want you to know up front, I am a pre-tribber. By that I mean there is, there is three types of, of beliefs, basically. And there are good people that are on all sides of these beliefs. There are pre-tribulation people who believe that they will not go through the tribulation, that the Lord will come and take them into heaven before the tribulation hits. Then there are those who are what they call mid-tribulation people, mid-tribbers. They believe that we'll go through some of it, but at the midpoint, God will come, Jesus will come, and take us up into heaven, the rapture of us at midpoint. Then there are those who are neither pre nor mid, but are post. They believe that we're going to go through everything, and then at the end of that, Jesus Christ will come and take the church up into heaven. Which are you? I am a pre-tribber. If we miss that and we start moving towards the mid, I want you to know that I will soon become a mid-trib. <laughs> That's what I do. And if we pass whatever that midpoint is and we start going to the end, I'm going to grab the I'm going to grab on with all those post trippers and say I knew it all along. <laughs> no, no I won't. I won't do that. But I I I I just want you to know that I believe that I'm going to show you the case that will prove to you that we are pre-trib people. Now, for that, for us to do that, we need to study this the word of God. But look and see in verse 8. We did this last week. I just want to refresh our memories. This is why I believe we're so much like this church, the Church of Philadelphia. He said to this church, I, I know your deeds. In other words, I, I can see what you're doing, and, and I've put an open door before you that no one can shut. And You have a little power. And we said last week that a little power with the Lord is plenty. Paul said, it, in my weakness, I am strong. But here's the thing that I think they've done that I believe that we do. He says at the end of verse 8, You have kept my word, and you've not denied my name. And that's what I believe we've built our church upon. Now let's read verses 10, 11, 12, and 13. And let's make some sense of this, best we can. And we'll hold it lightly. We'll write everything in pencil, so as the Lord can, can move us as He so wishes. It says in verse 10, Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. He says in verse 11, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have in order that no one take your crown. The one who overcomes, he says in verse 12, I will make them a pillar in the temple of my God. They will not go out from it anymore. I will write upon them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. And then he says, as he says to every church in verse 13, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I want you to note there, it's to churches plural. We are to learn from every single one of the churches. Everything that they have done correctly, we are to emulate. And those things that they have done incorrectly, we are to not do anymore. Like, for instance, the first church, when Jesus said, This I have against you, you have left your first love. 
We need to rekindle that passion in our hearts for Jesus Christ. Um, Anthony said it really well as we were worshiping. That one of the, I don't know the exact words he used, but basically to stand in awe um, of our, our Lord and Savior. I want that for all of us. Let's pray and let's get into this word. Thank you, Father. I pray that even though it senses to me that it is pretty dry, I pray that you would really uh, teach us from this, your word. And so for that to take place, please, Father, move me aside. Let us hear from your heart. And may our hearts be blessed by what you would have to say to each of us. And Lord, may we love you and our, our moms and, and the women of our church, Father. And may we honor them always. And so, Lord, take this time and, and bless it, please. Bless it richly, we pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Well, let me tell you what's normal. Normal to the Word of God is there always, when comes a blessing, will come a warning. It's the way it is. And so God gives us a blessing. The first promise of blessing is to those who keep His Word, keep His name, and persevere. In other words, be patient, be faithful, be obedient. God has a wonderful promise, a reward for us, for all of us who will stand firm upon His Word, no matter the circumstances that we might face in this world in which we live. Now the warning, obviously, is it goes out to all that reject His call upon your life. Now, by His call, that's His call to salvation. To reject what Jesus Christ has done for you is, well, that is a warning. And He says that you will go through an hour of testing that is about to come upon this whole world in which we live to test those who dwell upon this earth. Now, good people disagree about what the promise of verse 10 has to say to us. What does it mean? Some believe, pre-tribbers, myself, that all believers will be removed from the earth during that hour of testing. While others believe, post-tribbers or mid-tribbers, that in the midst of that hour, the believers will still be in it, but we will be cared for. Now, in between those views are what I tried to say a little while ago. Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. Try to understand that before you walk out of these doors today. What we want to do, though, is we want to just take what is written in verses 10 and on, but both, mostly verse 10, and not try to confuse the language. Therefore, we're going to have to take a look at the Greek, and I'm sorry for that. Not sorry in a bad way. I'm just, sometimes that can become tedious. I will try with all my heart to make it not tedious. Now, the church at Philadelphia, because they had successfully passed the test, held on to the Word of God, held on to the name of God, did not deny it, Jesus Christ then promised to spare them from the ultimate test that was about to come upon the whole world. Verse 10, read it again, please. I want you to be really familiar with it. Because, he says, you have kept the word of my perseverance. I 
also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now, for reasons that you and I will examine very shortly, this promise extends far beyond the church of Philadelphia. It it extends to us and all churches until the Lord comes. It, It extends to everyone who faithfully keeps our Lord's word in His name. Now, the rapture is the subject of three major passages in the New Testament. John chapter 14, 1 John chapter 15, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The reason we won't look at John and uh, 1 Corinthians is is for no other reason except they're all pretty similar, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 has more meat on the bones, so to speak. More of an understanding of what our Lord is trying to say. In 1 Thessalonians... Paul writes these, th- these words in verses 13 through 17. Great, great place in Scripture. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed brethren. Stop there just for a second. He is speaking to believers. And what he is saying is to believers, I don't want you to be informed, uninformed about something. About what? He says, about those who are asleep. Now, asleep there means dead. So he says... Look at Christians, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who died so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. He is saying, look, I understand you're going to grieve. I I get it. As a matter of fact, Dave, your your sweet mom, whom I adore, uh, we we talked uh, yesterday for quite some time. Can't talk to your mom for a short while, can you? <laughs> so we talked, and, and she cries. Every time she talks to me, she cries, which makes me feel really badly because Dell, his dad, died just a short while ago. And, and Ar- Arlene, his mom, I mean, there's hardly a man that has been loved more than Dell by Arlene, his wife, his mom. And so she said to me, I said, You know, Arlene, I, maybe I shouldn't talk to you so often because I make you cry. And she says, No, it's a good cry. It's a good cry because I, you know how much Dell loved you, don't you? And I said, yeah, and I loved him so much. And she says, I know that. And she says, I feel safe. And she says, I'm not crying because I don't have any hope. It was interesting. She said, I'm crying just because I, I miss him. And I get it. I, I, I get it. I understand that. And so what Paul is writing here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 is, Look, let's not be uninformed about death. I, I, I don't mind grieve. Just don't grieve as if you don't have any hope. Then he says in verse 14, If we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, then we've got to believe that God is going to bring with him those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ, in Jesus. We're going to be with him. Verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord. In other words, Paul isn't just saying this. He's saying this by the word of the Lord. We who are alive and remain until the coming of our Lord will not precede those who have died. They're going to go first, it says. Look, the Lord himself, verse 16, will descend 
from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ, those who, he said before, were asleep, would rise first. Then, then in verse 17, we who are alive and remain here on this earth, we then will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Now that's, that's a hallelujah. That is a time where we can rejoice. Let's not be uninformed about those who have died. We can grieve. Of course we're to grieve. But we don't need to grieve without hope. We'll see them again. We'll catch up together with them in the clouds one day. Can't wait. Can't wait. I must sound morbid. I must sound like I want to die. But I, I don't want to die. But I really, really look forward to being with the Lord. I do. I look forward to seeing what's going on. But I'm willing... Nah, never mind. Now let's talk. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 3. I was almost going to go off on a rabbit trail, Mickey. <laughs> let's go back to Revelation chapter 3. Post-tribulation people, people who believe that all the believers are going to go through the tribulation period, they believe correctly. They believe that there are believers who are going to be alive on the earth during the tribulation period. Okay. Pre-trib people, we agree with them. There are going to be believers on the earth during the great tribulation but pre-tribulation people do not believe that these folks who are on the earth are church-age Christians. In other words, Christians who, when the tribulation hits, will be on earth during that. They will be taken up first. So who are those on the earth that are believers? That's the reason you and I should share with our loved ones, our family, our friends, those we work with, Tell them, look, if one day I'm not here, and it, don't, it doesn't look like I died, i just gone. Listen, what I'm telling you is true. Come to believe in Jesus Christ. Trust in Him. He's coming for you. And I believe at that time to accept the Lord after the, the rapture of the church is not going to be an easy task. It's not going to be just a simple, oh, I believe. I think there's going to be a lot of martyrdom, a lot of torture. As a matter of fact, I want to remind you what we saw last week. Look with me at the, at, here at the book of Revelation. Just turn to the right to chapter 7 and verses 13 and 14. John, one of the elders, and we're going to learn in, in, in chapter 4 and 5 and 6 that the elders are the, are the church, us, that will be around the throne of God. We will be there in heaven. We're going to learn these things. So one of the elders, one of the church members, comes to John in verse 13 and says to John, these who are clothed in white robes, who are they? Where have they come from? John says, I don't know. You tell me. And he does. He ends up saying, these are the ones, verse 14. He, John says, I said to him, my Lord, I, you know. And so he said, the elders said to John, these are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. 
They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Post-trib people believe those are believers who are on the earth and they're going to come up to be with Him in, in heaven. And they believe, post-tribbers, believe, and I want you to remember this particular verse, John 17, 15. Jesus Christ's high priestly prayer. It's going to, I believe, prove to you that we will become pre-tribulation people. Post-tribulation people believe when Jesus says to the Father, praying in this high priestly prayer before he was going to go to the cross, he says, I do not ask you to take them out of this world. Aha, they say. But I say to you, keep them from the evil one. Therefore, post-tribulation people believe that verse 10 promises to keep Christians protected from Satan during the tribulation period without their being removed from the earth and its trauma during those days. On the other hand, preachers don't agree. We, we would love to take a look at the grammar. Not that the posts don't, but you need to take a look at the grammar, the construction, the context that, that, that leads you and me to believe that church-age believers are not going to go through the Great Tribulation period. It's... It is the promise, as Dr. McGee writes about the, it's the Noah and the Ark theory. When the floods came, Noah and his family, they warned everybody, but only Noah and his kids came on the boat and they were saved from the flood. That's kind of the same theory that pre-tribulation people believe. Saved from the tribulation period. Now there is much debate over Look at verse 10. Here's where it's going to get a little dry. Sorry. But you need to know this. I honestly believe you do. Look at verse 10. It starts off by saying, Because you have kept the word of my perseverance. Now here's what I want you to know. I also will keep you from. I want you to concentrate on those four words. Will keep you from. In the Greek, those words are T-E-R-E-O-E-K. Pure and simple. T-E-R-E-O-E-K. Those who argue that the church, believers, are going to go through the Great Tribulation, hold that that phrase, will keep you from, means that you will be preserved in the midst of a trial. They believe that the church will go through the Great Tribulation, will go through all of the judgments, but God will miraculously Preserve his church in the midst of that hour of testing that is mentioned in verse 10. That view, though, is unlikely, both linguistically and on biblical grounds, because the basic meaning of the preposition ek, remember I said tero, t e r e o, ek? The word ek means from, or out from, or away from. Now that's important. I know it's dry, but listen. Had Jesus intended to convey that you and I will go through the great tribulation, that we would be preserved in the midst of that tribulation, then the preposition wouldn't have been E-K. It would have been E-N or D-I-A, which means in or through. 
it would have been inappropriate for the Lord to use the, the preposition ek, which means from, or out from, or away from. The word en, the preposition en, with t-e-r-e-o, is used four times in the New Testament. It's used in the book of Acts twice, 12, Acts 12, and Acts 25, 1 Peter chapter 1, and Jude verse 21. They basically say the same thing. Let me just read you the two in the book of Acts. One speaks of Peter, the other speaks of Paul. In Acts chapter 12, verse 5, it says, using the, the letters E-N instead of E-K, meaning to go, go through a trial but be in it, it says, so Peter was kept, that's, that's not E-K, that's E-N, tarot E-N, so Peter was kept in prison. God protected him while he was in the prison. In, in Acts chapter 25, verse 4, same thing about Paul. Paul was being kept in custody. So the T-E-R-E-O with the E-N means kept in. But the T-E-R-E-O with E-K implies just the opposite. It means a continuous existence outside of. Now, get this. The only time the T-E-R-E-O-E-K is used in the New Testament, apart from here, of all places, in the high priestly prayer that Jesus makes in John 17, 15. When he says, keep them from, that doesn't mean keep them in the midst of. It means keep them away from, outside of. Jesus did not pray, folks, in Colossians 1.13, for believers to be rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved Son if we were to mix or intermingle with the with unbelievers or with Satan. And in Acts chapter 26, verse 18, when it says that believers are those who have been turned from darkness to light and turned from the dominion of Satan to God. And in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, when it says the unbeliever lie in Satan's power, but not the believers. The meaning of T-E-R-E-O-E-K in John 17, 15 is to be kept completely out of, and it argues to the similar translation of Revelation 3.10. In other words, they're identical. The Apostle John wrote both. John 17.15 and Revelation 3.10. And both of those times, it was a direct quote from our Lord Jesus Christ. So in to interpret T-E-R-O, no, T-E-R-E-O-E-K as a promise of perseverance, or excuse me, preser- of safety in the midst of the tribulation is not possible. And it also poses another huge difficult problem. The Church of Philadelphia they never went through the tribulation. So what is his promise to them? It was still future for them, just as it is for us. And another obvious objection to interpreting T-E-R-E-O-E-K as a promise of being preserved in the midst of the tribulation 
we learn, as we're going to study, that believers upon believers upon believers are martyred, killed for their faith during the tribulation period. Look at, look at chapter 6 for just a second. There's a couple places you can look, chapter 7 as well. But let's look at chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. When he broke the fifth seal, John says, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony that they had maintained. They cried out with a loud voice saying, Lord, how long, oh no, excuse me, how long, O oh Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell upon the earth? They've been martyred. They've been martyred. Look, at if, if believers faced the same fate as sinners during the Great Tribulation period, what comfort is that? It would prove small comfort, if any, to those who are the suffering believers in the Church of Philadelphia if they had to go through the Tribulation period and be martyred. And so when the Lord speaks of His coming, the Second Coming, when he says he will come and there will be a great trial upon this whole earth so as to test those who dwell upon the earth, that, that promise of his coming is different from any other promise that he has given to any of the other churches so far. When he warns the other churches, he is warning them of an, of an impending temporal judgment on those who are sinning within the body of Christ. That's why you and I have got to cleanse ourselves from all sin. That's why we need to make ourselves right so that God won't judge us here on this earth. Would we lose our salvation? No, I'm going to prove that to you in a moment as well. But we will go through difficulties if we do not deal with our sin. So Christ's coming to deliver the church is not to bring judgment upon us. No, He's to, he's to take us out of the trials. Now, let me tell you, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I'll give you that one. And so if I'm incorrect, the promise of deliverance and the promise of being encouraged if we have to go through the Great Tribulation, whether we go before, middle, or after, is irrelevant. In any way, we get to be with the Lord forever and ever in heaven. And for those of you that don't know him yet, we want you to. We want you to, to know him. We plead with you, come to trust in Jesus Christ. And so let's kind of wrap this up. We have only a, cute, a couple more minutes. Let's look at verses in chapter 3. Look, let's look at verses 11, 12, and 13. When Jesus says in verse 11, I'm coming quickly. Now we've already learned that means without notice. It doesn't mean in time. It means suddenly. And he says, I want you, therefore, to hold fast to what you have in order that nobody takes your crown. He says, I'm coming without notice, so hold fast. Don't let anyone take your crown or reward. Let me comfort you with the, the security of your salvation. Remember when Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, he says, I box in such a way as not just beating the air. And he says, I also run as with a purpose, a goal in mind. And he says, I take my body and I make it my slave so as I would not become disqualified. 
Now, do you think for an instant that Paul was worried about losing his salvation? Let me answer to you. No, no, not at all, because he taught anything but that. He taught that his salvation was secure in Christ Jesus. What he said, what he is saying here, and what our Lord is saying is hold fast to what you have so no one takes your crown, is that he does not wish for you and me to lose the rewards that our Lord has for us, either here on earth or in heaven. Our Lord is simply saying to you and me at verses 11, 12, and 13, don't let anyone, no, don't let anything take you from your crown, your reward, your blessing. Hold fast, he says in verse 11, to what you already have. Then in verses 12 and 13, he closes by saying, the one who overcomes, I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple of my God. You're not going to go out from that place anymore. I'm going to write upon you the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And he says, also, my new name. If you have an ear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. You see, those who overcome, we've already learned. And we're going to have a a, a really a major lesson on it as soon as I get through with this seventh church in a week or so. Those who overcome, as we've already learned in 1 John chapter 5, are those who have placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ and He alone. Here is your victory. Here is what has overcome this world, He says, your faith. And those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus alone, He will make us, He says, overcomers. We will become pillars in the temple of God. We will not go out from that place anymore. You see, a pillar is of great value, is it not, to a building? I mean, it, it's what holds the building up. It is foundational. It is permanent to a building, the pillar is. And Jesus is saying, we who believe, we will have a, a place of great importance within the kingdom of God. We will be a pillar, a, a structural, permanent foundational piece of that building. And the rest of verse 12, well, he gives us a very special identity. He says, we will, He will write upon us the name of, of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God, and also He will write upon us His new name. <laughs> that gives us a Wonderful identity with God the Father and God the Son. He'll write upon the name of our God upon us, our new name, His name. It's amazing. We will be identified with God the Father, with God's new city, the new Jerusalem, which even now is being built by Jesus in heaven Himself. Can you? I can't even imagine what it's going to look like. I, I really can't wait to see. And we will be identified with our Lord and Savior. What greater privilege do we have as believers? For those of you that don't know Him, please investigate. Investigate so much. If it's your desire, give your heart to Christ right now. Ask Him to forgive you of your sin right now. Be a part of His forever family. For those of us who know Him, well, whether we be 
raptured before the tribulation, the middle of the tribulation, after the tribulation. I firmly believe it's before. I, I just can't see us being martyred when he says he'll protect us. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I just pray that you and I will live a life that we hold firmly the rewards that he has given us. Don't lose what God has given you. Keep it. Protect it. Keep your passion for him. Love him with all your heart. That's all I have to say today. Um, gosh, I love you guys more than I can ever put into words. I can't believe this day is over. I can't believe what a great church you guys have here. We have here. This is a great place. You are wonderful people. God, I love you. Father, I love these people so much. Watch over us, please. In Jesus' precious name, amen.